talk to you today about why God is taken from what Jesus said. We just listened to it there on the cross, Matthew 27. Can we read some scripture today? The crowds have just said, crucify Jesus, not Barabbas. Why, Pilate demanded, verse 23, Matthew 27. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water, washed his hands before the crowd saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we will take the responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the headquarters and called uh, out the entire regiment. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him. They wove branches into a crown and put it on his head, and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery, taunting and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, grabbed a stick, struck him on his head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe, put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. Along the way, they came across a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they went out to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. The soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall, but when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. They nailed him to the cross. The soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. The sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It reads, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he, he can't save himself, so he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe in him. He trusted God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries were, who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. At noon, Jesus fell across the whole land. Uh, I'm sorry, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I was um, praying and seeking God a few weeks ago, and, and I was reading over this passage, and, and this just stuck out at me. Why God? Why? Why have you forsaken me? Here Jesus had been whipped by the Roman guards. He had been ridiculed by his enemies, deserted by his friends. He had been crucified. Everything he had was taken from him. His friends had forsaken him. Can you imagine the emotional turmoil that he was going through when everything that he held dear was gone? 
And then the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, perhaps. And there Jesus was hanging on the cross. He said, God, why have you forsaken me? You forsake me too? It's as though he was saying that. Here's what you got to understand about Jesus the Christ. How many of you know Jesus existed before the baby in the manger? He was God from eternity past. And in the incarnation, he came and lived in a human body, which means, which means he laid aside his God ability. He laid aside his God power. He laid aside his God knowing. Maybe you've never thought about this, but the reality is Jesus grew up from a baby just like you. Faced every challenge that you and I face. Grew up just the way we grew up. And he had to learn about himself from the Jewish law, the Torah. He, as he read the Jewish scriptures, every Jewish boy by age 12 had to go through a bar mitzvah. And at his bar mitzvah, he had to be able to quote exactly Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He had to know that to be able to, to declare himself at his bar mitzvah, I am a man. Jesus, as he read, found out who he was. He found out that he was the Son of God. The Holy Spirit bore witness with his own human spirit, even though he was God. It's hard to think about it that way. But here's Jesus on the cross when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Could it be? Jesus knew what he was going to face. In fact, the Scripture says he, he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. I've been there in, under those gnarled olive trees on the Mount of Olives where where they say that Jesus prayed there. And Jesus sweat blood. That means the capillaries underneath the skin. Because of the intense emotional duress that he was under, they popped and his, his sweat was like blood. It's talking about intense emotional turmoil. He knew what was ahead of him. He knew the barbaric death that he would, that he would die. He knew that he would die. He knew, perhaps, even that he would go to the kingdom of darkness. I'll talk about that later. He knew what was ahead of him, perhaps, but perhaps, perhaps, did he know? Did God withhold from him, Jesus the Son, Jesus the man, Jesus the God-man? Did God withhold at that very moment when you're on the cross and you're giving your life? I myself we withhold my presence from you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so Jesus cried out, why? It's the greatest challenge perhaps of his life up till that point when the father forsook his own son. And my friends, how many know God did that for you and he did it for me? Maybe, maybe you've been in life and like Jesus cried out on the cross, why God? Maybe you've gone through some hard places. You know, in the years I've lived, I've been through some hard places and there's been times I, I didn't understand what was going on. And maybe you've been through some challenges in your own life and maybe, there, you, maybe you're in a place right now, you say, God, why is this happening? Why did that happen? Why did this person leave me? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? And the circumstances are confusing. You know, I just want to tell you, sometimes God uses the toughest circumstances in your life to catapult you into what he has called you to be and what he has called you to do. How many know it's true? And so, and so I'll talk about that with Jesus. But let's, uh, let's go back a little bit 
And let's talk about, I want to give you two examples, particularly in Scripture, of, of guys who perhaps said, like Jesus did on the cross, why God, why, why is this happening to me? I mean, I've had that happen in my life. I, you know, as a, as a 30-year-old boy, I started a church in a small town. It took everything I had just to exist. I don't even want to go into detail except to say it's probably the toughest time in my life. I even contemplated killing myself because life was so hard. So, you know, I can understand when the circumstances rise up and you just want to, you just want to quit. There's two instances in the Old Testament where, where, where this happened. Guys were, had their whole life ahead of them. Things looked really, really good. But they asked the question, why God? Why now? Why me? Joseph, Genesis 37. You know the story of Joseph. He was a 17-year-old boy. He come from a family of 12 boys. Now, you know there was some rowdiness in the crowd with 12 boys. You can figure that out. My mother had two and uh, three, and, and we were enough, right? But, t- but 12 boys? And they were always, you know, picking on each other, etc. But there was a problem The father favored Joseph over his 11 brothers. And you know the story, gave him a multicolored coat, and and which is to say, you're my favorite. And his brothers, I mean, they took offense. They were angry at him. And then insult to injury. I mean, Joseph had a gift. Joseph had a gift to be able to understand the future. And often his gift, he would dream, and, and then he would know what he was dreaming. And he had a dream one night. He was about 17 years old, and, and you know the story. Um, he got up one day, and he said, y'all, I had the weirdest dream last night. It was really kind of awesome. He was kind of, you know, maybe partially bragging, kind of awesome. He said, uh, you guys were bowing down, and I was standing up, and you're bowing down to me. Can you imagine the look on his brother's faces? You rat, you rat, you wait. We'll get you. And he said, not only that, but in the dream, the sun, the moon, and the stars, the whole world... The whole universe is at my beckoning. We'll get you, bud. We'll get you. Can't you imagine? Well, they were out in the field one day, and they found a, they found a cistern where the, where the rainwater ran into to feed the animals, and, and it was empty. There was no water in it, and they, they said, let's get this guy now. I'm done with his mouth. I'm done with his pride. Then they grabbed him. They threw him in the cistern. They were going to kill him, but, uh, but some, uh, a, a caravan of traders came there. By. They traded goods from all over the world. And uh, the traders came by, and the brothers said, one of the brothers said, Don't kill him. Give him to the traders here. Let's sell him. They tr- sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And they sold him to the camel caravan, the traders. And they took him to Egypt, and they found a guy who basically ran the, the uh, secret service for the king of Egypt. The uh, Pharaoh would be what we would call president today. And this guy basically ran his secret service, the people that guarded the Pharaoh, the president, the king of Egypt. And this guy, Potiphar, took Joseph into his house. And Joseph, because of who he was, he just excelled at everything he did. How many know that what life finds in you determines what life does to you? So I don't care what happens to you, it's what you do with what happens that probably makes the most, dif- the most difference in the world. Joseph couldn't do anything about his brother's anger. I encourage you, if you're a parent, don't do what Joseph's parents did. Don't play one child over another. Don't favor one, or are you looking for trouble? 
Well, Joseph couldn't help that. Joseph couldn't help that his brothers grabbed him and threw him in that hole and then sold him uh, to Potiphar's house. Well, here's Potiphar, secret service overseer. And uh, Joseph began to prosper in Potiphar's house. And he said, this guy is so cool. I'm going to turn everything I do over to him. All I need to do is just eat and drink coffee all day. And uh, that's basically what happened. He trusted Joseph that much. Well, uh, Potiphar had uh, had a wife that nobody wants. He probably had a quite a beautiful wife, but his wife had eyes for everybody but him. And she began to look at Joseph. And the Bible says Joseph was a, a good-looking guy. You know, he was hot. And every day she'd come up to him and she'd say, I want you to go sleep with me. My husband's not around. He's working. Come and go to bed with me. And he said, I'm not going to do it. I would never dishonor my God. See, see sin is an offense against God. And in his heart, he knew that what he did, he did unto God, unto the Lord. He said, I'll never do that. I'd never do. Day after day, the Bible says she just kept pestering him, pestering him. Finally, one day, nobody's around. And she grabs him and says, sleep with me. And she grabbed his coat. The Bible says that he left his coat in her hand and ran out of the door, ran as fast as he could. She got, she got so angry at him for not yielding to her. That she told the servants in the house, said, this man, Joseph, this Hebrew guy, he just tried to rape me. She lied about him. Lied about him, told her husband. Her husband got so angry. He put him in one of the worst prisons in the whole nation. The prisoners were the enemies of the king. The enemies of Pharaoh were. And he was there in prison. And there's no way you're getting out. But see, God was with Joseph. Because Joseph's attitude was toward the Lord. He began to prosper again in the prison. And bottom line is gift. How many know sometimes when you're a hard place, hard places are where your gifts, it's where they're haunted. It's where you find out who you are. It's where you lay aside the riffraff, the stuff that you don't need in life anyway. And you find out what you're made of in the hard place. How many know it's true? Joseph, uh, one day while he was just going through his duties there in the prison, He interpreted a dream. He interpreted a couple of dreams. Bottom line, to make a long story short, the Pharaoh, the the president of the land, had a dream, and it was such a startling dream. He wanted to know what it meant, and he went to all of his advisors, all of his wise men, and said, can anybody interpret the dream? And nobody could, but somebody said, there's a guy in prison. He's He's an unusual guy. He seems to prosper everywhere he goes, but he's a pretty smart guy, and he's been able to interpret dreams. He interpreted a couple of years ago uh, somebody's dream, and we forgot all about it. And one guy said, I was supposed to tell you, Pharaoh, but I forgot. And so he said, bring him to me, and he interpreted the Pharaoh's dream. The bottom line, Joseph went from prison. Uh, to, to becoming the prime minister of Egypt. There was nobody more powerful than Joseph in Egypt but the Pharaoh himself. And he had charge of the whole land. If he said do it, it was done, y'all. He was 30 years old. Listen, Joseph was 30 years old when this experience happened to him. He was 17 years old when he was put in prison for 13 years It went through a hard place. You ever been to a place that feels like you'll never get out and one problem after another problem, it rises up and you can't figure out up from down, in from out? That was Joseph. And perhaps at the very end of that, Joseph understood. In fact, in fact, Joseph perhaps, uh, perhaps said it best here. 
uh, Genesis 45, uh, when he revealed himself to his brothers, he said, don't be upset, don't be angry. There was a big famine in the land of Egypt in the whole Middle East during Joseph's time. And God goes, gave Joseph wisdom to tell the Egyptian uh, ruler to save their food for seven years. And so there's going to be a huge famine. It's going to last for seven years. And if you do what I say, you'll be spared and you'll save a lot of lives. Well, Joseph's brothers were, were in Canaan and they came into Egypt because they were about to starve to death. And there Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. What Joseph went through, his duress literally saved his family's life, saved them from starvation. And this is what, this is what Joseph said to them. He said, don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine has ravaged the land for two years. It's going to last five more years and they'll neither be plowing nor harvesting. God has set me ahead of you to keep you and your family alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh. I don't know what you're going through today, but it could be you're right where you meet need to be. And it's the hardest place you've ever been in your life, but it's a setup for something God wants to do that's grander, bigger, and better than you've ever experienced in your whole life. That's what happened to Joseph. I've often thought, 30 years of age, I started a church in a little tiny town in South Carolina, and it's made me sweat. It was hard. I look back on that time and I think, God, you helped me in so many areas of my life during that time. Self-sufficiency, pride, arrogance, and so many other qualities that needed to be worked out of me. I'm not saying I'm Mr. Humble today. I'm just saying God did something inside of me that had he not done that and allowed me to go through that, I wouldn't be here today. Joseph would have never been prime minister of Egypt had he not been through the prison. Had his brothers not rejected him? Had the woman not lied to him? So you may think what's happened to you is awful. God may see it different. He may think it's the most awesome thing that could ever happen to you. That's a different way of thinking, isn't it? One other person in the Old Testament has a similar kind of deal that happened to him. His name is Moses. The, the name Moses literally means to draw out. You can find this in the first part of the book of Exodus. Uh, Moses' mama named him draw out because when you find him, his, uh, his mother and the, uh, the firstborn boys in Egypt were being killed because, uh, because these Jews like to have babies. And the Pharaoh got upset at the time and said, they're having too many. They're going to overwhelm us. Let's kill the boys. Two years old and under, his mama heard about it and said, well, I'll tell you what, not going to kill my boy. She put him down the Nile River in a, uh, in a little basket. And, um, and he, was, he floated down the river and was found by, by Pharaoh's daughter, the leader of the nation's daughter. And he was pulled out of the water. And so Moses is his name, true draw out. Not only was he drawn out of water when he was first born, but God used him to draw the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of darkness, out of bondage. His, his name perhaps was prophetic. The Bible says, you can go read about it in the book of Acts chapter 7. I'll just tell the story, but uh, Stephen 
the martyr Stephen was telling the story about all that God did in the Old Testament mentioned Moses and, and said he was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word and mighty in deed. You know what that means? Moses led a privileged life. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's court. He had the finest clothes. He had the finest food. He played with the finest toys. He had the most exemplary friends. He learned how to read. He learned how to write. He learned how to carry himself as a leader. He learned how to speak. He learned how to speak with eloquence. He learned how to live with excellence. He was horned and groomed to be one of the leaders in Egypt one day. 40 years of age, he got tired of palace living and he looked outside the window and he saw his Hebrew brothers and they were slaves. They were building the Egyptian kingdom. They were making bricks one at a time and they were sweating in the hot Egyptian sun. And he said, I gotta go see how my brothers are doing. He walked outside and he saw one of the Egyptians picking on his, his Hebrew brother. And he got so angry, he took him, I'm not sure he meant to, but what he did killed the man. He hit him in the sand, and he said no more about it. He helped his, his, uh, he helped his Jewish brother stay alive, but he killed the man in doing so. The next day, he went back out to see his Hebrew brothers, and he saw they were just kind of in an altercation with one another, a Jew with a Jew, and he said, hey, y'all need to stop that. And somebody besides said, hey, are you the guy who yesterday killed a man and hit him in the sand? He knew word was out. He was a murderer. He was 40 years of age. The Bible says he went to the Egyptian deserts, ran away because, you know, capital punishment, they kill you if you kill somebody else. He ran for 40 years. He got married there, and the Bible says he tended sheep for 40 years. Now think about what happened to Moses. During the 40-year period, he was in the desert. He had been trained the first 40 years of his life to be a leader, to be a ruler. He had the finest of everything that was available on planet Earth available to him. 40 years of age because of his own choices, because of his own anger, because of his own responses. He spent the next 40 years... I'm not talking about one or two. You imagine 40 years, you almost forget who you are, where you were, what you experienced in 40 years' time. He smelled like a stinky sheep most of the time. He sweat under the Egyptian sun. Uh, he learned to love the sheep more than he loved his own life. He learned to put himself last and to put other people first. He learned that the true experiences of life are when you live a selfless life. And at 80 years of age, he's just minding his own business. And as, as, all, as often happened in that, in that arid, dry, hot climate, a bush caught on fire just suddenly caught on fire. It caught his attention and God spoke to him out of a bush that was burning and said, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. I've called you. I've called you to come out. You came out of water when you were young. Now I'm calling you to come out of Egypt with my people because you're gonna be the leader because now I can trust you. Fast forward, Numbers, the book of Numbers says that Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. God did a work in Moses during the 40 years. 
of hardship he went through, living in an arid desert, living away from the privileged life that, I, that had been his, that had been bequeathed upon him. But see, he learned some lessons in that desert. He learned how to be a man. He learned how to put himself last and put others first. In essence, he learned, he learned how to be a leader. How many hear what I'm saying? And that's what happened to him. You know, Joseph delivered the Israelites from starvation. Moses delivered the Israelites from death. And you know, Jesus the Christ, he experienced something for us too that you can say what you want, doesn't seem fair, doesn't seem right. Second Corinthians 4, there's a couple of scriptures here. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, since we are his children, God's children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing to be compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Joseph wondered why God but it kept his, his family from starving. Moses could have said, why God? Why me? Why now all those 40 years? But it delivered his, his entire, his entire uh, lineage from slavery. Go back to Jesus there in Matthew 27. Three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, abandon me. Verse 47, some of the bystanders misunderstood, thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with, a, uh, with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again and released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom, the earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women, these are the Old Testament saints, who died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery, listen, after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city and appeared to many people. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified. By the earthquake and all that had happened, they said, this man truly was the son of God. Why, God? Why is this happening to me? My friends have deserted me. My back is bleeding. There's spikes in my hands. I can't breathe. On the cross, a barbaric way to die. Capital punishment by the Romans was horrible. You die of asphyxiation. He had nails in his feet and just with the nails in his, actually in his wrists in between the bones there, just, just pushing up to get some air into his lungs, excruciating pain. 
Jesus experienced all of that. And then his last, his last words on the cross, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Why, God? Why did you forsake me? The Bible says, and I talked about this, I wrote a blog yesterday. Jesus said in, in Matthew 12, 40, as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of a great big fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. You want to know where hell is? The Bible says where it is. It's a molten place of volcanic rock, and it's hot, and there are flames. Most people today don't think much about hell. They just think it's an alec. They don't think it's true. They don't think it's real. Jesus said it was real. He talked more about hell than he did heaven, if you go read the four Gospels. When Jesus died, he did not go immediately to heaven. One of, the, one of the men on the cross, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, because of the man's faith. And the man was a thief. He deserved to hang. He deserved to die. But, it, but Jesus looked at him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, Jesus didn't go immediately to heaven. When that man died and when Jesus died, they both went to the same place. They went down, 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 down. They went to the place the Bible calls hell. Before Jesus died, the Bible says in Luke 16, 19 through 25, it's the, it's the story of the rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. And Jesus told the story. And the bottom line of that story, Jesus said, before he died, before he went to the cross, hell was split into two compartments. There was the righteous and the unrighteous side of hell. The righteous side of hell was called Abraham's bosom or paradise. That's where Jesus said he would meet the thief on the cross. Then the other side of hell is the place where there were flames and there was fire and there was torment. And you go read the parable, it's a terrible place. And the parable there in Luke 16, there was a man who found, found himself in the flames of hell and he begged for someone just to touch the tip of his tongue with just one drop of water. He said, for I am in anguish in this flame. Psalm 22 is a depiction of Jesus on the cross and, and many of the Many of the scenes that we see that have been recorded in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John about Jesus' crucifixion are found in Psalm 22. It's a messianic psalm. There's another psalm, Psalm 88, that shows deity in a terrible place of retribution. And it could be, could it be? And I don't have the answer to this. The Bible is not clear. I don't make a doctrine out of it, but could it be that when Jesus died and did three days and nights in hell, not only was he in the righteous side, but could he perhaps have gone to that place of flame, that place of torment, that place of suffering? Because that's the penalty that the Bible says every human being must pay for their own sin. What we don't understand as Americans, we think God is a big Santa Claus in the sky with the great big white, big white beard, beard who loves us all. He does love us all. He so loves us all. But along with his love, he's also holy. And nothing that is impure... Nothing that is unholy can ever go to heaven because the pristine presence of God would immediately annihilate. 
it. It can't go. And God knew that about the human race. All have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. All of us are sinners. The human heart is wicked above all things and desperately wicked, Jeremiah the prophet said. In Jeremiah 17, Jesus said, from the heart of man proceeds evil thoughts, murders, blasphemies, uh, sexual immorality, lies, theft, all of the things that we do. He said it comes from the human heart. What's he say? We are corrupt at the core. It's not education that just makes us nice people. Education can make you worse because you can become more self-centered with it. When Jesus died, could it be? He went to that righteous side of hell, but could he have gone to the other side? So go read Psalm 88. In fact, go read my blog from yesterday. You can find it on our website because I examined that and just asked some questions that I really don't have answers for what I do know is that when God was satisfied that the sin debt for every man, woman, boy, and girl that would ever be born from the beginning to the end of time as we know it, their sin debt would be absolutely paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. When God was satisfied that his innocent son went to hell and stayed there until God's holiness, God's purity, and God's justice was satisfied, that sin had been legally paid for. The Bible says Jesus preached the gospel to them that are dead. First Peter 4, 6. What did he do? All of those Old Testament saints who gave animal blood sacrifices on the Jewish Day of Atonement year after year after year to cover their sins so that they could fellowship with a holy God. Jesus said to them, you crucified, you gave, you gave animals, you, you killed animals once a year and you gave their blood as a covering for sin. I am the Lamb of God who takes away the whole sin of the world. I'm the lamb that that sacrifice that you gave was all about. You trusted in the blood covenant in the Old Testament. I'm the, I'm the lamb of God. I am the son of God. And I've come here to set you free from your sin. I've come here to make a way for you to go to heaven. The Bible says that when God was satisfied that Jesus had paid the sin debt of humanity, the Bible says the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. That means the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus there in hell. He was raised, that spiritual death, all of the impurity of our lives that was placed upon him. The Bible says him who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made right with God through him. When God was satisfied that all of our sin debt was completely played, the Holy Spirit came on Jesus. He became pure. He once again saw the radiant, glorious, loving face of his father. He felt the love of God once again. And he said, y'all, I am he that was dead, but now I'm alive and I'm alive forevermore. I want you to get up out of this place. And the Bible says he took those Old Testament saints out of hell. And when he resurrected from the dead, we just read it. They were resurrected from physical death at the same time, got out of their graves and appeared to many people in the city of Jerusalem. You don't hear many people talk about it. Go read your Bible. We just read it. Jesus conquered death. Jesus appeared to his disciples for, for 40 days and then he ascended to heaven. And now the Bible says he's seated at the right hand of God. 
And I love John 3, 16. For God, come on, men, so loved. Us men, we've been talking about the so love of God. He didn't just love you, he so loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish in hell, but have eternal life. The older I get, the more real it becomes that I'm not going to live forever. Somebody said you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. I'm not afraid to die. I've told you many times I've been near death six times in my life, twice before I came to Jesus, four times. I mean, the devil's tried to take me out. When you get close to death, you know it's there. It's looking at you, and you're looking at it. That's, why you find, that's where you find out what's inside. The first two times, I'm going to be playing. It scared the hell out of me. I mean, literally, it scared me. I thought I didn't have another chance. When I came to Jesus just before my 18th birthday, I found out what love was like. I found out what forgiveness felt like. If you're like me, if I don't do it right, I beat myself up worse than any human ever could. I found out what grace was like. I found out what it's like to not have to work to be loved. What it's like not to earn somebody's favor, but to be loved just because I'm me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You're the only person in the world. Jesus would have died for you. Americans don't reverence Easter anymore because we don't think sin is a problem. You know where you'll find out your sin is a problem? That point where you know you're about to beat your last heartbeat and breathe your last breath. That's, a, that's an awakening unlike anything any of us will ever experience. Jesus came so we won't have to be afraid of our future. We won't have to be afraid of death. We won't have to be afraid of ourselves and other people. We won't have to be afraid of God. You can't work for the love that God has for you. You can't come to church enough. You can't help other people enough. You can't give enough money away. The debt we owe God is priceless. The only person that can pay the debt that me and you owe God is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He had no sin. He never sinned. He not, never violated God's laws and rule. He was pure. But he became your sin. And God so loved me and you that Jesus died in our place, went to hell in our place, paid the penalty for my and your sin, and then he was raised from the dead. Today, we have a choice. You can choose to live the way you've been living, do what you've been doing, but one day... We're going to die. That's why the Bible says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the accepted time. As long as your heart's beating, you have time to make Jesus Lord and to accept this grand sacrifice he made for sin.